Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. And welcome to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. And today we're going to hear the story of George Joseph and his multi-unit common bond concept. George, thanks so much for interrupting your, your Florida trip to visit with us today. Glad, glad to do it. Thank you for uh, the invitation. So, George, tell us a little bit about your background in the hospitality and restaurant industry. You know, what, what led you to the, where you are now? What was your path? Great. Uh, my path, my original, my lifelong level of hospitality was actually drug and alcohol rehab centers that I ran. And we had our hospitality. It was built in. They, they were there. They ate the three meals that we provided, which the one thing in the drug and alcohol rehab business, if your food is not good, the patients tend to be a little more uh, rambunctious. If the mm-hmm. food is good, they're, uh, they, they tend to uh, be a little more at peace and more cooperative. So I, I learned that lesson early on in my early 20s. But the way I got involved with Common Bond is an interesting story. I, was, I had sold my business in 2012 and about 2013, I guess, 20, close to 2014. Uh, one of my dear friends says, Hey, we have this chef. I have a friend. It's a chef that's having trouble with his financial partners. And can you mentor him? And that mentoring became becoming the owner of common bonds. So I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing back then, but the, the guy was a great chef, Roy Schwarzapel, amazing chef. Uh, great background. He sells uh, Panatones online now. Panatones by Roy. It was really, it's really good. He's out in o- Oakland, Oakland, California area. Sells worldwide. But Roy and I started meeting, and I had never actually been to Common Bond. It was in its first year, and uh, he was struggling uh, with his financial partners because he was getting all his critical acclaim. He was number four in Allison Cook's Houston Chronicle list of best restaurants. He, uh, he's got all these developers coming and talking to him and they were actually not making money because the, when he built the restaurant, he built it actually too small. The kitchen was too small for all what he wanted to provide, like breads and cookies and pastries and desserts and all the things that he was providing. And so he, he, he could not produce the profit to actually to pay back his partners. And, and he was like, oh, we need to expand. We need a commissary. And the partners were like, hey, wait, we just bought all this great equipment from Germany and built out this space. And, and we're, not, we're not turning any kind of revenue or any kind of profits yet. And, uh, and so that led to me getting involved. And, and uh, one story led to another. And Roy ends up going back to New York where he had trained. And the, the partners were like, I got to meet him at that point and actually negotiated Roy's uh, exit plan. <laughs> and I said, look, I, I would be glad to take the business. One of the investors was a 75 year old female and uh, she had her son running the business and he was a lawyer by trade, but they had some hospitality background. And uh, she called one day and said, Hey, George, can you meet with me at my house? And I said, sure. He said, but don't tell my son, the one that was running the business. And so I get there not knowing what to expect. And the other son walks in and says, listen, my mom shouldn't be running a restaurant. 
make her a reasonable offer and then we're going to exit and and she can re- enjoy her life without the stress and so that's basically how I got involved with Common Bond in 20 the end of 2015 they had opened in May of 2014 so it was the end of December 2015 when I bought it mm-hmm. and tell us about the concept what is it what is it like well, it goes back to Roy's vision. So Roy, I love this guy. He was a uh, basketball. He played basketball at University of Houston. He was a waiting tables at Carabas and just kind of migrated to the kitchen and had a passion for the kitchen. And so one thing led to another. He went to culinary school in New York, and he was the type that knew all the rock star chefs, like would study them, and he would go to them and name drop he said look i worked with so and so can i come and volunteer with you for two weeks and this chef and that chef and so he's got he had such an amazing background and so then he went to europe and did the same thing and got all this great training and he says i want to open this basically a european cafe bistro and bakery in houston texas where i'm from and that's what he did in may of 2014 and so to me, it's like you walk in, it's a show. You walk into the cookies and the pastries and the croissants, and then you see the macarons and you see the, the desserts and then you see the cakes. And then you have a full line of sandwiches and salads and meals uh, from the savory side. And so when I got involved, it was probably 80% bakery items and sales and 20% savory. And now we're closer to 50-50. And mm-hmm. The, the restaurant, when I took it over, had basically two big trailers, like storage trailers in the parking lot. Parking, as Chris knows, in the Montrose area is very tight. And one was for dry goods and the other was a refrigerated trailer. And, and we just couldn't operate the way we wanted in that space of the kitchen. It's a 3,600 square foot restaurant and for the volume of people. And it's, you know, 20, $22 a, a person. But on weekends, you would have lines way out the door around, wrapped around the building. And so once I got involved, I was like, ah, well, you know, Roy's vision was to open a commissary so that you could move some of the production outside of the, those doors. And that's when the savory can increase. And we added more savory items because we had a little more space in the kitchen. We started baking bread offsite. As you know, baking bread <laughs> takes a lot of space. And that's kind of been the beginning of the journey. Now we have 12, 12 locations and uh, two more that are in process that just passed permitting. That's kind of been our journey. So kind of walk the listeners through that, because there are some people that I know are listening that are thinking about that expansion. They're thinking about that very next step. So you analyzed and saw the issue. The good news is you were very busy, line out the door. The not so good news was because of this concept, Fresh Bakery, um, and lack of storage, you couldn't produce enough to keep up. Right. So, but you were already planning on seizing the opportunity to expand the brand. So what came next? Did you start designing future stores that were bigger or did the commissary come next instead for production? Yeah, so basically we had to, we started with the commissary. That was the next big step is to create the commissary to, to support the stores. And then we would go and look for other locations. And that's kind of how the, the beginning of the process. And, you know, obviously when you have a commissary, you have to worry about transportation and, you know, different locations to create and then building the restaurants and how much equipment you need, because some things can be done on site and some things can be done at the commissary level. 
And we started our expansion. You know, the day you open a commissary, you have to open more locations because it's hard to support one one restaurant. And we started that process and, you know, with delays and construction, we were on number, I think just finished number three when COVID hit. And, but we'd already had, you know, leases signed for uh, four and five. And, and, and then, uh, you know, we were kind of in the middle of that. And, and so we kept pushing forward and pushing forward. One of them was in downtown Houston and we actually finished the build. We just made that decision. Let's build through COVID and the construction contractors were great. Finished <laughs> building that one and actually didn't open it. We, we, it states it sat empty for almost a year before we decided to make a run at it. And even now to this day, downtown Houston is, I would say in my estimate, maybe 30, 40% what it used to be back pre COVID because people working from home or if they come into the office, they may only come two or three days a week. And some of them may stay four or five hours and actually don't, you know, not around for breakfast and they have their, you know, do their work. And then they sometimes go home without even getting a meal. Whereas obviously pre COVID they would get there early and, sometimes have breakfast meetings and then have lunch and then sometimes stay late and have dinner. And we just don't see the traffic that we would have seen pre COVID. And then uh, during the pandemic, I had an opportunity to, to take over a drive through small little 2,500 square foot drive through in the Heights area, not far from our, one of our locations and said, Hey, I think that we can, we can sh- share common bond on a drive-through basis. So we actually created a brand and wanted to keep tied to our company name. So it's called Common Bond On The Go. And uh, we opened this drive-through. It was a chicken and donuts place. Before that, it was Church's Fried Chicken. And uh, we rebranded it and got it up and running, I want to say in record time, uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. It was, uh, we opened in May after the first, what, three months of, of COVID. And, uh, and obviously that's, it's been successful because, you know, we'll have in the drive through an average of maybe 150 transactions per day or so. And then obviously some people come into the store and we built out a little patio, this building didn't have a patio and, you know, people want it to be outside or in their cars. And, and, uh, we've continued that expansion. We now have four drive through locations, uh, throughout the Houston area. And so our, Poor guys get up early and they're baking early in the morning. And those trucks get rolling five, five o'clock in the morning. They're starting to, you know, get out there and delivering the, the products to the different locations. So your concept does lend itself to um, off-premise dining, I guess, all all across the board. Yeah, we did. We did probably better than most during the early days with you know the the uh, takeout uh, delivery services. We used Uber Eats and DoorDash. We worked with them. In fact. Great story that the three days before the governor shut us down, Uber Eats wanted to meet with me. And I'm like, sorry, you, your rates are just way too high. And uh, the lady was so nice. She said, no, 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 no. We get so many requests for common bond that I'm here to negotiate with you. And so we started negotiating and we agreed to something. And she said, all right, in the next few weeks, we'll send our photographer and start taking pictures and, you know, get you on our app. And then the governor shut us down the next week and we're calling her and said, look, we got pictures. <laughs> we, we, we're ready to, we need to get on your, uh, we need to get on your platform. And, uh, and thankfully uh, we were able to get up and running and pivot fast as we could. I mean, it's, it's this uh, COVID has really made you think outside the box and move quicker than you normally would have moved for sure. Mm-hmm. 
You mentioned how you were able to modify your concept into a small drive-through on the go, and now there's four common bond on the go. So I got to ask, were all of them because you seized an opportunity and you found a drive-through that was closed and converted, or were some of them because you um, you built from scratch? It was a little bit of both. There were several of the, the landlords sought us out and and found us. One was this, and I probably regret getting involved in this one. This was a beautiful. It was an old building that was a uh, auto, looked like an auto repair shop, and had the drive-through with the bay, the bays that were there, the <clears> free <throat> bays. And but I learned that it was on the not on the morning side of the the road. <laughs> It was on the dinner side of the road. So that's very critical in our business because it's 40 in those drive throughs It's been about 40 plus percent coffee, but I love the building. So we basically renovated the building and we kept one of the bays as our drive through. So when you go into order, you're covered and you actually can see in with the window into the restaurant of the people that are dining inside. And then you turn around the back and you, you, we have the, we cut out a window in the back of that one. Um, uh, one was a, a coffee shop that didn't have a drive-through and the landlord, the coffee shop was up for renewal and the landlord was like, they, I guess the, the tenant gave them trouble and they didn't renew because they, they wanted us in there. And we actually just extended their building to build out a drive-through. So it's, it's been a little bit of both. The, thing, the other things I've done is actually non-drive-through small ones, which have been more challenging. And Chris and I were talking about it from a country club perspective for his brother, but they're in two of them are big office buildings, which is challenging enough to, to have not as full occupancy or full numbers of people. But because they're there all the time and it's a small outlet, they're expecting different things. And, you know, most of our sandwiches and salads are just grab and go, whereas drive through people are more tolerant. But when you're in an office building, you you want to you go to the same place every day. It gets kind of tiring. So we've we've had some challenges figuring out this model inside of a building without without drive through. And uh, I would definitely not do that again. <laughs> when I well, you know, that would be something that maybe you could elaborate on for Barry and I. When you have one brand yeah, uh, and it's bakery and it's savory, uh, but you're doing it in different areas, office building, traditional location, drive through, how does it affect a menu? I mean, are, are, how do you decide what menu items can go into what type of concept? Yeah, our exec- executive chef is so amazing. He he he. We have a high end brasserie downtown. We have the medium uh, bistro bakery, and then we have the on the go model. And the on the go model has been challenging to him because it's obviously prepared off site and then brought there every morning fresh. And it's like, what? How much can you do and provide? And then if you make say 20 salads or whatever, and they buy five or six that day, you know, you have a lot of food waste. So it's, it's been challenging to make sure that the, we change every quarter, we update the sandwiches, we update the salads and those more, um, the non-traditional on the go products. And then obviously the bistro, we have the full menu, have a full kitchen and the brasserie, we have a a more upscale experience. So it's really a challenge to the executive chef. Like we have one location that's a, a on the go that was already kind of established and built out. And they had requested the landlord had really requested breakfast tacos. <laughs> she was like, we're not going with breakfast tacos, but sure enough, we, we finally got the chef over the edge to 
do breakfast tacos. And in Texas, people love breakfast tacos. They love to have something in their hand that's easy to eat. And and so it's been a big it's been a big winner at that particular location. And I'm I'm pushing them to try to move it to all the locations. We're doing it for catering, and people love it in the catering aspect. So he's uh, we're trying to. He's originally Australian. He's Australian. And uh, and wanting to keep that kind of more French influence, but when you're in in Houston, you want you want to breakfast tacos is is critical. So you have a number of units um, under the same brand, and that brings up a lot of questions for me. But yeah. the first question I have is, um, what ties all these units together in terms of? ambience, style, architecture, anything that even though that you have different styles of service, basically three different styles of service, yeah. when I go into one of your units or drive through one of your units, I just know that I'm at a common bond yeah. restaurant. Good question. You know, it's, it's the one thing that's a, a given is every one, every location you will have the run, I call it the runway, which is the cookies, the croissants, the scones, the macarons, the, the blueberry muffin, the, 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 uh, the uh, desserts, the, uh, we don't have cakes at the necessarily at the drive-thrus, but all the other things are kind of lined up and you walk through the line to get your order, to get your coffee. Um, and that's, that's the kind of the, the symbol of our brand. That's, that's what you'll see when you walk into any location. And I imagine design decor signage. Does everyone, even large and small, do they all get to fit into that same look, whatever it is? Yeah, we're trying to move in that same. Yeah, the same. The signage is similar. We have a we work off a circular circular logo, and so basically everyone is either on the go or bistro or brasserie. So that's kind of how we designate the brands, and uh, and you know it's always a challenge to make sure that the customers know the difference and that we're not, they're not expecting a bistro when they walk in on the go or they walk going into a bistro and they only want to grab something and there's a long line. So it's, it's been a challenge to educate the customers of which is fits them the best. And some like that fact that they can go in any one and get the certain type of coffee or the certain uh, pistachio croissant and taste the same. So some of the, the branding of what the items are, that are consistent or is, is important. It's just the, the more on the savory side, it's been the challenge. I say, hey, this is the more elevated, the brasserie downtown, this is more bistro and this is more on the go. And that's the, the formula that we're always tinkering with to try to find out what's the best at each, each level and then educate the customers. Like right now, we have a perks program for the on the goes, kind of like a Starbucks rewards. And we're trying to determine if we, roll it out at all the locations so that there's not confusion that the perks program will work at any common bond. So there are definitely challenges to having multiple brands with the same kind of corporate umbrella where I know some people use a, a corporate name and then they have different names for their, um, their different, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, model. Your, your trademarks. Yeah. 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 Trademarks and things. So, uh, it's, it's, it's been interesting. We're actually, I'm interviewing a, some branding firms now that kind of tweak that now that we've kind of made this big expansion push and we're going to slow down after the, you know, these last two, um, two locations. With a commissary, um, are you running any 
uh, off-premises business out of that. I'll, I'll use virtual or ghost kitchen. It's just a, um, for lack of a better term, but uh, food's being made there. You got Uber drivers running all over Houston. Are you pushing any product out the commissary direct to consumer? We have not done that. And, and it's interesting because a lot of the savory products that are cooked at the bistros are at the bistros. And obviously we use all the delivery services. The mm-hmm. commissary has been more of the the breads and the croissants and those kind of things. And so I guess we could do a ghost kitchen just for the bakery items out of that one. Uh, it would be a great idea to potentially try because it's it's not in an area that's close to the other restaurants, other common bonds. So it's actually something we could should actually look into. We do sell wholesale to a degree, very small, very select. Right now we're only selling to Four Seasons Hotel in Houston um, pastry items. So and we've had people that have approached us for bread and other items, but we just haven't moved in that direction. Supermarkets in your crystal ball um, retail sales yeah. of your product. We're, we're more pushing for airports. We're we're up. Airports. For, yeah. I was talking the Houston airports are up for renewal, and we're in multiple packages. Mm-hmm. And Hobby Airport is supposed to be announced any day now. It keeps it keeps getting pushed. It seems like, but. Uh, they're doing two contracts, two different parts of the airport, and we're in several of the vendors on both sides. So we're we're like got fingers crossed that we can have them in the in the airports because it's they manage it. It's it, we just provide the product and the know how and the oversight. That makes sense. Yeah, the <laughs> other thing is with with as many units as you have, and we you know particularly lately, I don't know what it changed during the pandemic, but there are concepts with uh, fewer units than you have. Yeah. that have already gone to a franchise model. They have some corporate-owned stores, but then they are bringing in franchisees. Um, is everything you're doing, uh, I'll call it corporate managed and operated and run, or um, given your growth trajectory, um, mm-hmm. are you doing franchising or is franchising one of the things that you are contemplating? You know, it's it's funny. We've actually researched uh, franchising quite a bit and you know it's 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 not an easy task to get set up with all the policies and manuals and procedures mm-hmm. and disclosures and those kind of things and so we we've chosen not to do it at this point but we're probably open to it especially only for the drive-through on the go models which is basically like a upgraded starbucks way mm-hmm. uh, sure. i would i would definitely for the right franchisor uh, look at that, that opportunity. We get requests all the time online. Hey, you know, they, people visit and come and, you know, then they text us, they're doing our inquiries on our website. Can you come to Orlando? Can you come to Phoenix? Can you come to San Diego? Can you come here? We, <laughs> we had one guy in San Diego, actually I was there on vacation. He's like, Hey, can we meet? I'm a big customer. You know, we, we have several restaurants here and we, we, uh, we'd like to talk to you about the concept. So, I'm like, I talked to you, but I, I'm not ready to make any moves yet. But mm-hmm. we had a landlord last couple of weeks. In fact, I'm, they're supposed to get back in touch with me. I said, look, he wants to open in Austin in their building. I'm like, I'm not interested in open, <coughs> opening a bit, opening a common bond in Austin at, at my expense. But if you want to, you want to license it and put it in your building and we manage it, that could be a different story. So mm-hmm. the capital to open restaurants now it's an, and it's amazing how many people keep opening restaurants but the cost has gone so high with equipment with labor with with everything and 
And a lot of landlords want concepts like mine there to drive traffic, but they don't understand the risk, especially if their buildings are not full or, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's in an area that's new or new development uh, that we're not sure what the volume will be like. Well, Chris, the power of a brand as far as an asset, um, we don't get that story that often, do we? No, this is really a good example of that formula that we talk about uh, from time to time, where sometimes one plus one equals three. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're creating something that can show versatility, there's one brand and you've got the runway and you've got core items that everyone identifies to the brand. Yeah. But I can upscale it and do some things in the brasserie if the demographic requires, or I can go into really small square footage and do um, a smaller amount of variety and have a drive-through. So these are more ways of creating value in the brand. It, it works, and we don't see um, too many examples of that, Barry. You're, you're, you're right. And, and people wanting to get on board just because of the power of the brand. They want the Nike swoosh on their on their clothing type of thing, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Do you get, because you are known as sort of a premium, you know, product in that, what we might call the bakery cafe market. Yep. Um, uh, I know that it's, it's, it's good, you know, to, to want to be the best. It's yep. good to use the best, um, you know, products. Uh, but as you were mentioning earlier, it's also costly uh, equipment and operating and whatnot. So you've got to roll all that into the price. So is it lonely when you're at the top because you are sort of a more expensive option for yeah. a morning coffee and a pastry? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's definitely a lonesome uh, project, especially when people that were originally, re- you know, foodies, original customers. And as you expand, they're like, oh, they already discount your brand. They already discount the quality. You're not a you're not a she-she place anymore, even though we work hard to have the same consistency. They're like, oh, they're not the same. And, you know, since they opened so many locations, even though it's made at the same place, the same, same product and spread out, it's, uh, it's funny the perception of people. So, yeah, I think it is always going to be a challenge. And, uh, it's, and it, it's, a, it's a challenge for our team. Like right now, we're working on really customer service. And a lot of our front of the house are younger people. Obviously, not many people want to get into hospitality these days. They want to work from home or create an online business. But uh, greet, um, engage, and serve. Like, really greet people. So I'm, I said, let's break it down. Simple. Let these young folks understand what the importance is about somebody coming to spend their hard-earned dollars. And, you know, they'll if they feel appreciated, if they feel receptive they, they're gonna want to frequent your restaurant you you want repeat customers it's great when we have people from other parts of the country or other parts of the world visit but that might be one time or two times if they come to houston or you know whatever but if if they live here we want them to come frequently and feel good about coming frequently and uh, and enjoy their experience so and when you're you know most of your employees in the front of the house are in their 20s or you know, maybe some in the early 30s and they're not sure what their career is, you know, their length of uh, time in the front is, is hard for them to establish those relationships. So we're, we're really working hard right now on our training of our customer service, greet, engage and, and serve. 
and and testing people, giving them tests. We're doing we're doing everything we can to encourage and letting them uh, compliment others if they see it. And so we give awards and and uh, you know little bonuses for those that that really go beyond to make the customer feel special because. You could be a premium brand and some people want to pay for that premium brand, but most people want to feel a good experience. Oh, yeah. That guest experience and talking about how important that brand is. I I can only imagine you've already really kind of said it, how important recruitment, onboarding and training is um, to maintain that type of brand recognition. This is not just pulling warm bodies off the street to uh, serve donuts across a a window. Yeah. And and as you grow and your brand's strong, then other people start poaching and want to, you know, take your employees. And so it's always a battle uh, for us to retain our employees, us to support our employees. We pay weekly. We try to do everything we can to encourage them to feel good about being there and, and just pray and hope that they're, Tenure will be two years, three years or more uh, before they jump to another job. Because as we know, uh, post-COVID, that people's, you know, will jump for another job for another dollar an hour, two dollars an hour. Or they'll jump just to, you know, not to be in the middle of the stress that they're dealing with, even though the next job may be even more stressful. But at the time, it looks good. Right. So they say, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going to go try something else. And and uh, so we're always in battle. The way I look at it, battle to to do customer service to our employees ourselves as leaders and also to encourage them to have good customer service for our customers who uh, who actually pay our bill that's that's our uh, that's our boss they, they don't I don't want to be I don't want to be the boss the boss is the people that put their money out every day and mm-hmm. pull out their credit card that's my boss with the size of the company um, that you're, you have and you're building, if you had some young folks there who said, listen, I, I like being here. Hospitality is my career. Is there a career path? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. All, all our general managers are probably in their 30s. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't I don't think I've won maybe one that's maybe in his 40s. They're all mm-hmm. some are in their 20s. I have I had one girl that's worked her way up that's running our Heights location. And I think she's 24 years old, 23 years old. So you came up the ranks. Came up the ranks. Worked uh-huh. hard, provided, showed their leadership, and uh, and it's been wonderful. In fact, most of them have worked their way up the ranks, and I and I love it. I I, I want them to have that path, and I want the stars to shine, and and because they know they've been on the they've been on the firing line, so they understand both sides of things. So mm-hmm. that's that's the only way we've been able to grow is by promoting from within. And have a strong leadership team that you know encourages them and tra- trains them and teaches them uh, how to how to continue their services. That's great. It's a real benefit. Yeah. Um, I know that the you explained how the menu may adjust to the three different parts of your concept. How does the service to the guests uh, change? Uh, I mean, are they? Is it all counter serve or in the brasserie? Is it more full service? Yeah. Um, could you explain yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, exactly right. No, it's all uh, fast, casual, counter service or window service from the drive-throughs. But at the brasserie, it's a, it's a full sit-down service with waiters and waits, you know, wait staff and and um, reservations through open table, a full bar. It's a full experience. In fact, it's it's so beautiful. We won design awards. That's the amazing thing about this. <laughs> we built it during COVID, but we won. 
Paper Cities Design Award. We won HBJ's Best Restaurant Designer Award because the way it's set up, it's actually a the bakery fast casual counter on one side, and then the other side is the full service uh, restaurant with the bar, the brasserie with the bar, and in between we have a private room that can swing either way. That could be open during the mornings for breakfast in the fast casual side, and then once the brasserie opens at lunch and dinner. It could be done as a private setting or private room or are uh, open to the brasserie. And then they share bathrooms on the, on the outside. So if you're ever, ever in Houston, it's on 800 Capital. It's really, really well done. We worked really hard on this design. The bakery part, they want the architect wanted to put glass. And I'm like, this is a, you know, a secure building. Let's take the glass away. So you walk, you walk in and the bakery side is no glass. It's got marble counters. It's really a beautiful experience. And then uh, then you'll see the, the rooms to the, the restaurant to the right, uh, looking straight ahead, the bakery to the left and the, the brasserie to the right. Well, so does that affect hours of operation since you are full service? I'm assuming that that means the savory menu is much more expanded and you might be open late. Yes, we are. We, we're open later. It's uh, basically the way we've created and we're always tweaking, tweaking it, but it's basically the same menu that you have at any uh, bistro for breakfast and lunch. And the dinner is the more enhanced uh, meals. Um, and then that's open, you know, obviously later in the evening and weekends. Given the, uh, uh, the European uh, style of menu, um, is that reflected in your wine list and, and so forth? Absolutely. Yes. Our, uh, our president is a, to me, is one of the best wine connoisseurs that I know. He he will find the best value of the wines and the best flavors of the wines out, out there. I mean, our our bar is very impressive. People don't think a common bond for alcohol that much, but this this his choices, even at the level of the <clears throat> bistro uh, stores, his level of choice is so top notch. You talked about the labor issues. Everybody's dealing with that, although it seems like you really have a good program. Um, given what's going on right now, we kind of have to talk about supply chain issues. Um, how is it affecting your particular concept, uh, uh, particularly on the, uh, the the pastry and bread side? Um, uh, I've got to imagine there, there's there's some issues there. Yeah, it's not, it's really, it's not been as much on the pastry and the bread. It's more of the savory, like what, what meats are available, what shrimps, you know, what shrimps available, what, what some of the things that we can't get. And I don't know all the different items the chef's done amazing to figure things out and how to work around and do things from that aspect. The, uh, the supply chain, one of the issues is packaging, you know, it's so much to go packaging that the demand for to-go packaging was like a flip of a switch. So it's like, sometimes we can't always get our packaging and, you know, a lot of it comes from other parts of the world. And, you know, if you got some delays, you're like, Oh, how do we gonna handle our packaging? So we, we've worked really hard. We've been working really hard on figuring out packaging and we're known for our packaging, how great it is, the looks of it. And so like um, we've, we figured out the money we would save by, not having our branded packaging for Uber Eats and DoorDash that we just put, you know, put it in a bag um, and what that savings is and, and having the right bags or like the right gloves and the expensive gloves that, you know, what, what level of gloves do you need when you're just grabbing a pastry versus 
you know, being in the back cleaning, you know, so we're, we're trying to be smarter in through all this process. And then obviously, I don't know, it's supply chain, but it's your vendors that, you know, if you don't watch the prices just spike and obviously it's, they're getting spiked, you get spiked, but it, you sometimes have to see the spike and then have to react to it and says, Oh, why were we actually using these types of gloves? Do we need that many types of gloves? Let's research it and see what we can do to save it. And so that's where the, the CFO is coming in to try to come and help the operators and say, hey, the operators will do whatever you put in front of them, right? They're, they're just trying to do their job, but they're not necessarily understand always the pricing that goes into things. And, you know, we've had sometimes where the the, the uh, commissary would order a product or, or it, it's something, I can't remember the example was, but it was like $13 per one at the restaurant. The restaurant ordered it was $13 because they didn't order it the right place. And the, the commissary was ordered for $3, the same product. I, can't, I wish I could remember what it was exactly, but it's like just not knowing where to order and what to order and when to order. So I'm, I'm trying my best to lock down all the ordering to one basically area and then shrink our vendors down to a smaller group of vendors that we can be loyal to now that we're having some volume and say look this is the volume we'll commit to you over the next year but this is the pricing we need and and so there's so much to go into it because it's it's the battle of pennies is the way i tell people it's (laughs) every penny you save times thousands of visitors a week makes a huge difference and your pay, my, you know, our pay, our, our ability to enhance with benefits or, you know, a lot of the young people are really um, into philanthropy, uh, serving, you know, we do a lot of things like this month in September, we're doing recovery month for uh, people with addiction issues. So we have a, a special uh, macron that a dollar goes to an agency that helps people with addiction issues. And, and our young people like that. So it's mm-hmm. like everything that we do we have to think about the ramifications of what we do and how to how to how to benefit the employees morale how to benefit the company do we that does that agency help market to get more people to come in to buy that macaron and maybe buy other things so we're always trying to think of advantages because for every every advantage you try to make there might be something that happens like we've had where umbrellas have flown away with weather and hit a car and you know you have to deal with those kind of issues or you know even though we take only credit cards we've had people break into our stores and you got to fix the windows even though they don't take anything and you know you never as an operator you never know what your expenses will be so every every dollar you can save behind the scenes is is better for the employees in the in the future of the company you bring up something interesting as far as uh, social conscience as a uh as a recruitment tool um, in terms of selling uh, young employees on your business. Yeah. Yeah. We take an inventory. We do a survey with employees uh, several times a year and it's amazing how much, not so much the people behind the, (laughs) behind the house, (laughs) the cooks are not as socially conscious. I don't think for some reason, but the ones that are in front that are customer facing, that's important to them. And so, the goal in 2023 is that we do a lot of different campaigns, but I, I want to do a campaign a month for the for the year, different different organizations. Like every year for Mardi Gras, we do king cakes for the kids at Texas Children's Hospital. So that's that's February. And so in September is always recovery month. So we have some of the months 
gay pride months in june so we have some months already allocated but the goal is to try to every month that the, the, the team knows what we're what we're supporting and hopefully like you said they feel good about it and they feel good about working for us so if somebody tries to poach them for another 75 cents or a dollar an hour they're like hey that's good but i i like this company i got a retirement plan i got i got their you know they care about the community and hope we can create some of that loyalty from our uh employees but also our our uh, customers that they know we're a local company they know that we support the community and that they feel good about spending their money there because as you know you guys know you know nationally houston is such a great draw we're getting companies from all over the world that are coming in here we have one from australia that opened a block away from me that has a very similar menu and you know people are naturally want to try different things and so We've, we've lost a little market share to that restaurant. So we have to work harder and, and really promote our support local and things that, that help drive our business. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to underline that and how important that fact is, because I think the listeners are independent restaurant operators. They're fighting um, that battle, too, that uh, that uh, the battle for pennies that you mentioned as well. But I think too many times people are focused on staff as a problem rather than survey staff and find solutions as you do. I would hope people make a note of that or they look at getting staff as just a you know costly measure and then it's hard to find and it's too expensive to pay. And it sounds like your process is the more we bond with them and try to create an environment that they feel like they belong and they're having fun there. Um, you know, then it, it might ease the pain of always trying to find, makes it easier to retain. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah, we're trying everything we can. It's a, it's a, always a, a battle, but the more we can keep people happy, the happier our customers will be. And the unspoken. And your Go reviews. Ahead, the other thing I want to say is your reviews because, man, it's amazing. I, and I'm guilty of it too. Like I'm visiting Florida. I'll go in and best restaurants near me. I'm looking for their numbers. And if it's a, at 4.4, it might be a great restaurant that just got slammed by for certain, you know, having poor employees for a while or whatever. And, and the food's probably really good. But if I see a 4.8 or 4.7, I'm going for it. And so <laughs> right now we're really focusing on getting those reviews right because there's, we know we have a lot of customers that love us. So now when they either send us an email or whatever, say, hey, do you mind taking that next step and, con- you know, doing a Yelp review or a Google review for us? Because it's a, it's a it's a battle to get people in the door. Mm-hmm. You talk about the vendors and um, and for many operators, they're the un, unsung heroes, at least our podcast, because we don't really talk about it as much. But um, in terms of your vendor relationships, uh, helping you with your growing pains and issues related to the pandemic and then um, are they helping you in terms of transporting your product from the commissary to your units? Uh, um, how closely are you working with the vendors and broadliners and, and uh, how important has that been to um, enjoying the success that you have? Well, I think, I, I think we can do a better job. We, we actually, uh... Our big, our coffee vendor is obviously one of our biggest vendors. We use Cat's Coffee, mm-hmm. and I said his name's Avi Katz and runs Cat's. I said, Avi, we want to do a coffee summit at your at your shop. We want our top baristas and our leadership to come meet with you mm-hmm. in your coffee shop and talk about our program. And it was amazing because the result of that meeting, we 
We increased the size of our cappuccinos. We offered another, you know, 12 ounce versus just an eight ounce. And we, we made a lot of changes and our, we gave our top barista a new position where he actually is going to go around and train the other baristas to make sure it's the same quality at each location. And, and so I think we can do more of that with the vendors because, you know, obviously they invested in our success. And sometimes we forget about that. We always see them as this adversary. Hey, you got you know, you're raising our rates. We need you to lower our pricing because yeah. you know, versus you may not have to lower your pricing if you come in and give us some value. And so uh, he's coming around, obviously coming around, his team's coming around each, each location and working with the baristas and working with the equipment and, you know, making sure we have the right pieces in, in place to be successful in the coffee program. So, yeah, I think that's an area that, I, I, I wish we did a better job in, and, and so these summits are, I'm going to start, we're starting to schedule them regularly, like mm-hmm. coffee summit, maybe a savory summit, maybe a pastry summit, you know, baking company summit, equipment summit, just to meet with the vendors. Cause you know, they got their pulse on things and they, they're busy. We're busy. We're not thinking about how to collaborate as much unless it's a problem or, but I'd rather collaborate when we can do it proactively. Mm-hmm. And I think we should support we should support the ones that we as much as we can. I want us to actually do a campaign that we support local in the sense that we have local brands like we just rolled out gelato and we had a gelato machine, but we just couldn't have the space. So we found a local uh, La Fontaine uh, uh, maker to start making our gelato and we branded our cups. And so we have now gelato at our location. So. Cat's Coffee, La Fontaine, uh, ice cream and gelato. We, we're we're trying to use local reps, uh, local companies. So we we should we should build off of that and co co brand and co market. Nice, very nice. And I think that the you know that the better purveyors want that. Uh, so I'm glad that they reacted well. And I hope that in the future, your savory purveyors, beverage purveyors, will react well to say, yeah, let's collaborate now. And uh, because it really, it benefits them to work with a company that only wants to get better. That's what I'm hearing you say. Your challenge is you want to get better with ordering. You want to get better with service. If you want to get better with your product, the more they collaborate with you, it's a win-win. Your staff gets better engaged, does a better job. Uh, Guests are happy. Revenue increases. You wind up ordering more. So what what a good, good formula. Yeah. Yeah. And they seem like they, you know, they, at least that experience has been very, very positive. Well, this has been a wonderful experience for us too. Uh, Um, Barry and I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to you. Um, You've made me hungry for croissants and I have no place close by with a good one. And so um, I'm just going to have to, I guess, I'm just going to have to live with myself on that one. (laughs) Come visit us. Come visit us soon. Yeah, Chris and I have a, we, we, we need to get together and do a run through Houston, Chris. I, I think it's a couple of days at this point, won't it? Yeah. You know, really, yeah, we, we've got to do it. Uh, Barry, let me know when you're available. And this is, of course, definitely one of the stops. So, hey, everybody, please pay attention. Go to a common bond, 12 units and more on their way. George, thanks so much again for visiting with us. And uh, we wish you the best as you continue to grow and expand. Uh, thank you. I appreciate all you do for our industry. It's it's not the easiest industry at all, but <laughs> your guys like you help support us to be successful. So thank you. And for everyone out there, have a great weekend. And we hope that we can catch up with you on another Corner Booth real soon. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. 
We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.